I started becoming curious about the idea of, of masculinity and what it means to be a man really after the, the Me Too movement. This is episode 25 with writer and social entrepreneur, Andrew Horn. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast about love, sex, and identity in the modern world. I'm your host, Jared Matthew Weiss. Each week, I chat with an inspiring person that will help you expand your mind, open your heart, and give you one thing to think about on your journey towards great love. Thanks for hanging with me today. Here we go. Andrew Horn wants men to get more vulnerable. He's the founder of a new organization called Junto, a not-so-secret club for men to explore emotional mastery, where he curates workshops and weekend retreats for bros to come together, take off their macho masks, and get real about their feelings. In a hashtag MeToo world, this work is very important. And that's why I wanted to chat with Andrew about his personal journey. In this episode, he shares stories about being bullied as a child, how he's learned to be in partnership with a very powerful woman, some of the books that have guided him on his way, and ultimately, what it's like to raise a son in the modern world. Andrew is a good friend, so we also share lots of laughs, but his humor and charm are well-balanced with his insights and, of course, his vulnerability. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Well... Andrew, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be able to sit with you. Um, I, you know, love the work that you're doing with Junto. I love what you did with Tribute. Um, let's start off by talking about um, you and just a little bit about, I guess, where you come from. Where where did you grow up, Andrew Horn? I grew up as a small white bullied child on the south side of Maui, Hawaii. Wait, you were bullied as a child? I was indeed. And by who and for what? Well, because I went to a public school, uh, and in my school, I think it was probably about like 50% Hawaiian, Filipino, 20% uh, Tongan, Samoan, and then we had this minority of about probably like 15% uh, Caucasian. And I fell into this uh, minority of white middle-class kids at this public school in Hawaii. And so I had this very unique experience of being bullied for my race as a white dude growing up. <laughs> wow. That is just not a story I've heard often. <laughs> um, okay. So what, what was that experience like? What was it like? What did it feel like to be bullied? I felt very isolating, man. I think that it was actually contributed a lot to kind of my, my upbringing and desire to belong, you know, not really feeling like I had a deep community of friends, uh, growing up through middle school, I moved to Virginia when I was 14. And I remember very acutely just thinking to myself when I moved that I was unhappy and that I was going to do whatever it took to fit in. I, I found out that I could receive some external validation pretty directly by talking to girls and throwing parties when my parents went out of town. What was your pickup line? Um, did you have like a, it was you, very, game it was or? very natural. It was hello. And then it would, uh, it would usually go hello? to me being was from really Hawaii. Like, hello? So it was, it was a little, it, it was a little deep. It was a little deep. For? It was a little deeper than that. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I define myself by being the kid who threw parties and talked to girls. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like you were, you were pretty like full on bro. 
I I really I went deep on my my bro. Did you have a puka shell necklace? Gosh, you know me way too well. You did. I, I had a puka shell necklace, and then I even had one of those the kind of elevated puka shell necklace with yeah. like the actual shells. Right. Did for, you did you frost your tips? I didn't frost my tips. I definitely hung out with kids who frosted their tips though. Yeah. Yeah. I knew did those you? kids. I didn't. I never frosted my tips. But you know, that doesn't mean I won't. <laughs> did you ever frost your tips? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that could be a good poll for your Instagram. What do you think it says about people who did F their T's? <laughs> <laughs> F their T's. Oh man, I really you know, I had no idea we were gonna get there, but we got there. I mean, I think that like they're big Justin Timberlake fans. It's you, true. You know what I mean? Can you really blame them? I mean, I, I love the guy. Always yeah. did. You know, we're in this like moment where, you know, Gillette puts out this big commercial about like what it means to be a man and what we need to teach our boys and all this, you know, and I, I know that you're really like at the forefront of a lot of this work. Hmm. And so I'm just curious to know for you, like, how do you go from being puka shell necklace, hey girl, you want to come to my party and being like the bro of all bros to really stepping into like really transforming and becoming like what I consider to be the most vulnerable man on earth. Well, thanks Jared. How do you get there? You know, I would say that probably one of the biggest shifts and what has really influenced a lot of my work and men's work is like, I talked a little bit about my high school experience and wanting so badly to fit in and belong. And that was like a big part of my life for many, many years was trying to be the person that other people wanted me to be trying to prove my value to others by fitting in, building businesses, saying the right thing, um, everything you can imagine. And uh, about three years ago, I uncovered this framework called Gestalt. And Gestalt is this very powerful framework that is focused on present moment awareness and tapping into your innate authenticity, what you feel and think, curiosity, what you want to know about people. And for the first time in my life, I really existed in a container where I released myself from the need to be perceived any certain way to achieve any sort of external result. I just trusted myself and it was really liberating to have that experience of how I could be in the world and watch myself impacting other people the way that I wanted to. And then about two years ago, I got introduced to this guy, Dan Doty, who started this organization called Everyman. And he took some of the gestalt principles that I had experienced and was kind of studying and applied it specifically to kind of emotional awareness of getting guys together to get real with what they were feeling and speaking courageously about that experience in a container of just guys. And uh, I... Why is it important that it's just guys? You know, at Touchpoint, we, yeah. you know, we, we have this incredibly diverse group of people. We, we curate storytellers at the intersections of, of race orientation, of gender expression, of relational orientation. It's like it's been such a powerful thing for all the different people to meet and all the different people to really sit and hear each other and see each other and listen and learn. Um, why, why do you think it's important in the work that you're doing that it is all men? Yeah, I think that it is a shared experience for people who identify as men to explore and express um, what it is that is real for them. And I don't think that it is important in the sense that like this is the answer. It's just one ingredient. And I, I often say it's like when I talk to 
women who are from kind of the, the previous generation of men's empowerment and Iron John and King Warrior Magician Lover, they talked about how... I'm sorry, what, I don't know what those things those are. are. So Iron John, there was, and as, there was a period of men's empowerment. Isn't that just called history? Well, so if you were to think about the period like after kind of Gloria Allred and not Allred, but Gloria Steinem mm-hmm. and kind of the feminist movement of the, the 70s and 80s, especially in the 90s, there was a real shift in culture. Women kind of uh, taking a, a much larger role in the workplace uh, and men really being asked kind of what is our role in society? What is our role in the home? And in that place, a lot of these books, Iron John, uh, King Warrior, Magician Lover came out uh, talking about this new exploration of masculinity and how men could embody it. And uh, so there were a lot of people I've talked to who talked about the introduction of men's groups growing in popularity and different things like that and how that experience could be othering for women. And so while I say it's important that it's just men is because I think that there is a very distinct experience to men and providing a space for them to talk about that, but understanding that it should not exist in a vacuum, that the things that we are learning, the things that we're uncovering should very much be discussed uh, in you know, a diverse environment. We should talk about how the things that we're uncovering are impacting the people, communities that we care about but that the way that uh, men relate to one another in this exploration of their emotions uh, is really distinct. And I think that from what I've seen as well, um, the way that women versus men conduct themselves in this type of emotional exploration is somewhat different. And I've seen it to be very beneficial for just guys to do it. But at the same time, you know, I, I haven't actually sat in a men's group with women, so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so you referenced a few books. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you discover these books? Cause I, I've personally, I mean, a lot of books have come up hundreds and hundreds of books have come up at, at touch point. Um, none of the titles you've, you've mentioned have come up. And so how did these things enter into your consciousness? I think that, uh, I started becoming curious about the idea of, of masculinity and what it means to be a man really after the, the Me Too movement. I think it was like one of the first times that I'd seen the term toxic masculinity and just starting to think about what it meant for me to be a man and understanding that I had this subconscious understanding of what it means to be a man, that I was a man biologically, that I identified with masculine. I also identified with feminine virtues. And so like, what were those? And so as I started to do my own exploration of that, of like kind of articulating that experience and making it more known, more conscious, uh, I started to just ask myself, who else has actually written about this? Who else has explored this? Who else has created a place for people to have this conversation about masculinity, the evolution of what it means. And, uh, those were two of the the biggest books that I had heard about when I started asking about this publicly. Mm. So what does masculinity mean? Uh, I think that masculinity is a, a set of behaviors that we identify with uh, males. What are those behaviors? I think it varies from person to person. And I think it's really important for people to sit down. There's an exercise that we do. Uh, in the Junto, these retreats that we do where we have people write on a piece of paper on one side masculine and on the other side feminine. And without overthinking it, I just say masculine. Okay, you have 30 seconds to write down all of the behaviors that are masculine. 
And so people write those down. And then as soon as they're done, we go to feminine. I have people write all those things down. And what's really interesting is that we have such a, an innate notion of what those behaviors are that we associate with masculine and feminine. And they're all things that have been conditioned in us subconsciously. You know, it's been relationships that we've had, rites of passage, like sports and school and different things. Um, and it's fascinating when a lot of times when we look at masculine and the things that come up are violent, dominant, one of the positive ones like protector. Uh, but it's powerful when you look at what our innate definitions are of masculinity and femininity. Um, so what is one example of one characteristic that would be considered masculine and not feminine? Um, so one of the ones, and so I wouldn't say that they are one or the other. Yeah. I think that it's a spectrum that exists within people. It's very individualized. And I think that we have a, a collective consciousness that is there about those ones that are more predominantly masculine versus feminine. But ultimately, I think that the powerful thing about this work is that when we understand what our subconscious understanding of these behaviors we associate with masculine and feminine is, is that we can actually step into a new uh, reconstructed consciousness of what masculinity or femininity is on our own terms. We can actually say, what are the behaviors that I associate with masculinity or femininity and step into that kind of on our own terms as opposed to uh, society or uh, any sort of force outside of our control defining what it means to be that. Would you say that being strong is a masculine characteristic? From, is strength masculine? No. I don't think so. So what, what to you, what would be considered masculine versus feminine? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. What would I consider masculine? Well, yeah, because people feminine? come to your thing and they make their so lists. When I, so what I, what I will do is rather than, than overthink it is like, what I would say is like the first time that I did this exercise with my friend, it's the things that I immediately wrote down is I wrote what I just said. I said, violent, dominant, uh, protector. I wrote, um, wise. And then like when I went to feminine and it was, uh, soft, emotional, caring. And these were the dominant kind of values that I looked at there. And um, what you realize is that, I mean, those things are accessible to everybody, which is, I think one of the things that's really important is opening up this conversation and understanding that it is a spectrum that is available to all people. But what happens is for so many people who aren't having a conversation or able to listen to a podcast like this, um, they just immediately gender the conversation of masculine and feminine. Yeah. So masculine immediately means I'm a man, therefore I'm masculine. Uh, I am a woman, therefore I'm feminine. And I think that that's where so many people get startled with like terms like toxic masculinity because they don't have a nuanced understanding of the masculine of the feminine. And because of that, it feels like an attack on the essence of who they are, their identity as a man. So how are you seeing this work? Um, two questions. One, how has this work transformed the way you show up in the world as a quote unquote man? And then, um, and then how have, because you've started Junto, these, these men's retreats. And, uh, I know that you do, you're really deep in the men's work. You have a men's, a men's group that you meet with once a, once a week and, and you're writing about these things and you know, you're, you're doing these fantastic Instagram polls and uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just curious. Like, so the first question is how have you been transformed by this work? And the second, how have you witnessed other people? You know, the, the yeah. people that are part of it, what is their transformation like? Well, I think a lot of this is based around the idea of the, the identity model of change is that, 
people do the things that align with who they think they are. And for guys, I think a lot, a big part of our identity and me included is as a guy. And so when I think about myself as a guy, I think about myself as masculine, you know, there's a whole identity built up around what that means to be a protector, what it means to be dominant, what it means like to need to what all these other things. And so one of the things that's been really helpful about this exploration of masculinity is just introducing a fuller spectrum of behaviors and values that I associate with masculine or feminine that I can then reconstruct this identity of, of like, I am a man who does these things. I am masculine because I am X. And then when I have that reconstructed identity, that's much more conscious and inclusive of these values that I, you know, I myself associate with them that I maybe wasn't conditioned societally to associate with masculine that I, I'm just more capable of being the type of person that I'd like to be in the world. So reconstructing our identity as masculine as men um, on our own terms is really powerful for allowing people to be more in integrity, take more responsibility for who they are in the world. So that's been the first part that's been really powerful. And then the second way that it's transformed me is being able to communicate from and about my emotions more masterfully of just providing a space, whether that's through a men's group, whether that's through a retreat where, uh, where I've been empowered and, and experienced other people being empowered to talk about their emotions, um, has really allowed me to learn so much more about myself and what is real for me. And I think that that's, you know, really been a, a, a transformative experience is, we so often explore all these important areas of our life, whether that's like our career, our relationships, our sense of purpose, our sense of self-worth, whatever that might be, through the lens of insight and understanding, of having an impulse, having some sort of awareness and trying to solve it. And when we're just trying to find solutions, what we're not allowing ourselves to do is to just feel everything we're feeling and this work has provided a framework for me to just go deep and explore all these areas of my life through the lens of my emotions of how present is uh, anger, sadness, shame, joy. And when you allow yourself to simply experience your emotions, there really is an innate wisdom uh, in those things. And so I just feel like as I've done this work, I have, really learned so much more about myself. I'm so much more aware about where I am, what I'm experiencing in the moment. And with that awareness, um, I'm just able to kind of make choices and take actions that are in deeper alignment with, with who I am. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example of the way Touchpoint has really changed my perception of many things. And I was referencing earlier that I drive into school listening to, to in uh, sync, and somebody would say, "Are you gay?" And I still get fielded questions constantly around my sexuality because I paint my toenails, which is pretty feminine, and I also wear you know these onesies all the time. And people are looking at me constantly and asking if I'm gay and questioning my sexuality. And I think pre-touch point, somebody would either infer or sometimes not often, but sometimes ask just directly, "Are you gay?" Mm. And I'd say. No, 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 no. I'm not gay. I was very emphatic about not being gay. Mm. Then I, you know, start this conversation. There's thousands of people who attend Touchpoint. I am just a witness to so much 
that today, if somebody says to me, are you gay? I say, well, you know, I really haven't met a man who's brought it out in me yet. That's it. Because there's this acknowledgement that I understand our, that, you know, uh, my understanding of sexual fluidity, that I understand uh, things that just about our, our nature as, as, as beings that we can change, that we can shape shift. And, uh, and so that's like just one way in which like where I was at and how I thought of myself in the world pre-touch point and now post-touch point, like it's just, it's just different. And so I want to know pre me too, pre men's work, Andrew shows up in this way and does this thing. And now as a result of all of this work and all of what's going on in the world, Andrew shows up in a different way, in a, in a, in a tangible way. It could be in a, you know, the way you navigate your relationship with your partner. It could be the way you think of business. It could be just the way you interact with women in anywhere, you know? So, so I'm just curious to know, like, what is the pre-work Andrew and what is the post-work Andrew? Yeah. Um, I would say that pre-work Andrew, um, we can call him Puka Shell, Andrew. Let's call him Puka, Puka. Puka Shell. We could just call him Puka. F and the T's, not F and the T's, <laughs> Andrew. Um, yeah. The word that comes to mind is the idea of control. Is pre-work, I felt powerful and safe uh, in controlling, especially relationships, of feeling like I could really shape myself, my words and my interactions in a way that would achieve desired results. Um, and it was less, less honest and inclusive of like the totality of my experience and my emotions and my fears and my worries and all these other things. And I think that post work, what I've started to learn and you kind of started off by saying like the most vulnerable man, and there's certainly a line of being, you know, overtly transparent about everything you're thinking and feeling all the time, which is not helpful. But I would say that post work, what I have learned is the power of harnessing all of the emotions, uh, the totality of like my emotional experience and learning how to communicate from that place really honestly mm. and bringing all of myself into social situations like, you know, speaking things like being on a podcast with you of just learning to, to trust myself and, uh, not trying to control outcomes, but learning to be real with what is and what's really special about that. And why for people that are interested in this type of work to improve their lives, I really, my experience is that again, when you detach from the need to control outcomes and shape yourself in ways that you think other people will be more likely to accept you or validate you or buy into whatever the hell you're selling when you really just are yourself um, and learn how to express that to the world, which takes work. Uh, you achieve more of the things that you want to with much greater ease. Mm. I love I love what you brought up about control because I think that like the narrative that is really playing out now we're seeing it culturally we're seeing it politically is this you know is this major shift in control uh, between men and women 
And it seems as though, from what I've heard, you know, the the greatest thing that men can do uh, in the modern world is relinquish control. Um, and I'm curious to know if that if that comes up within men's work. You know, I had this this wonderful moment with uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez a few months ago where I said to her, I said, listen, like I'm a white, cisgender, heterosexual male. Like I have all the privilege and I have all the power and what what should I do with it? And she said, um, when you find a strong woman, let her lead. So, you know, this this idea of relinquishing control of and, and allowing, you know, uh, women and specifically people of color to, to, to lead. And, you know, how does that show up and what comes up for you around that in, in regards to the work that you're doing on yourself and, and with the men that you're working with? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And it has, we have these, uh, unified dinner conversations on our, our weekend retreats. And this has come up at, I'd say half of them. Uh, the idea of does anyone ever truly relinquish power on their own volition of their own volition and it's a really challenging thing for people to embrace that idea and I think to allow that sort of behavior to allow men to step into that role of supporting powerful women allowing people to lead I think that it it requires a, a fundamental examination of how we express power and strength like you just talked about is that for so many men me included how we were taught to express strength was through leading through winning through dominance through protecting and that was my own experience and so i think again it's like we we associate those behaviors with strength and why just having this conversation about like what is strength? Is that masculine? Is that feminine? What does that look like? Um, you know, I would absolutely say that for me, the idea of, of service, of supporting people, again, it's whether that's masculine or feminine, just I know it's essential to my, my beingness, like who I need to be. And so what that looks like for me is, is certainly supporting a very, very strong woman, allowing a, a strong woman to lead, to be the primary breadwinner in our household and to address the insecurities that that brings up because there's an innate subconscious desire to contribute more than my female partner because I've been indoctrinated with that message my entire life, you know? And, and the powerful thing about this is providing a space where I'm, I'm empowered to talk about that and guys who I can express that to allows me to evolve and understand a more nuanced understanding of what real strength is. And for me, it means not needing to be in that visible role of taking the reins or leading to be strong. I think that it, it means again, like being egoless enough to lift someone else up and sit in the fucking background and, uh, and support others. And, uh, mm. so, so I would say that that it's, it's really examining, like what we associate with, with powerful, with being a man, whatever that means. And when we reconstruct that, oftentimes what happens is, is I've, I've seen men just start to embrace these more mature aspects of, 
of masculinity, which are much more grounded in this idea of, of responsibility and service and lifting people up. And, um, I think that that's ultimately something that benefits all people. Whew. All right. So you brought up your relationship, you brought up Mickey. <laughs> so we're going to go there. Um, you know, because you do, you, you have a very, very powerful partner. Um, and, uh, you know, I love her and I love you and I've been able to witness you both as individuals and as a team. And, uh, it's, you know, you're, you're in a position where you, you have this very, very powerful partner. She's, she's a, she's a, I mean, a, a, a she's a tsunami. Um, and as a, as a man holding space for her, um, and also sort of reconfiguring your mental model of what it means to be a man. It's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. And so how is it showing up in your relationship? How, how is, how is the, how is Andrew showing up differently in this relationship now as a result of, of what's, you know, obviously on her trajectory as, you know, uh, just for context, Andrew's partner, Mickey Agarwal is the co-founder of, uh, of Thinks, uh, of a new bidet company um, called Tushy. She has a new book out called Disruptor. Um, she's a powerful person and she's just been very, uh, she's been very successful at building companies and, and putting messages out into the world that really do empower women. So how are you, how is all this men's work showing up in your relationship and like, where are you finding it's, it's hard. Yeah. The, the power of this work has been unearthing some of the just I think hidden parts of myself whether that's insecurities unarticulated desires of like having a place where especially in my men's group where I get to go and talk about whatever's present for me of I I've chosen a relationship with a powerful woman for the purpose that she challenges me of like one of the the highest aspirations that I have is is like this idea of self-actualization of just how how much can I experience how much can I grow how much can I evolve and being with a, a strong partner is one of the most effective ways to do that. It's like we grow in relation more so than we do in isolation. And so, you know, I, we're constantly still eight years in on that edge and pushing each other and growing. But uh, having a space where I've been able to check in and get real and acknowledge the validity of my felt experience has led me back to the table where, you know, going into conversation with Mickey and talking about unarticulated sexual desire, talking about insecurities, about financial contribution into the relationship and being able to unearth those things and address them for what they really are. It's, it's like our conversation is so rich and challenging at times, but one thing that it is and what is incredible about it and the foundation of it is that it is honest like we're in a fight right now and i'm it's not easy but i know that she has said everything that's on her mind and i know that i have expressed everything that i'm feeling and because we're both in that place because we're both not holding on to some shit or hiding this we're gonna deal with it and we'll work through it we're not gonna walk out of this resenting one another who knows you know if it takes a couple of hours and we're good tonight or you know maybe tomorrow or the weekend 
but we're re- we're dealing with what is real and what the other is feeling and that's what allows us to grow together and evolve as people right beautiful that's beautiful um um so so you know as we we wrap this up uh, i have a couple final questions the the first question is what are you hoping you have a son you're you're raising a, a young boy and when you described young andrew being bullied you know being that white minority uh in hawaii and and having that experience and then you know you know creating your mental model of what it means to be a man and now you're living that out and you're doing all this work but now you're also raising a young boy and at some point he's going to have he's going to verbalize what he thinks it means to be a man right he's he's already it's he's going to embody it in his decisions and his behavior but he's going to say like this is what it means to be a man when you ask him one day and what are you hoping hero is going to say when you say hero what does it mean to be a man i honestly just hope he says those words i i don't i don't care what he says after that because it's like i the whole point and my whole understanding of after yeah, what you say, what does it mean to be a man? And he says, I, I hope that he has places and has experiences that allow him on his, on his own of his own free will to say, here's what I think it means to be a man. And the idea being that like he and young people and old people that ultimately they're the only people who can truly identify the values the expressions that that represent masculinity and manhood to them and so what i hope he says is here's what it means to be a man and i hope that he changes it over time and i hope that you know again that we when i say experiences of like for but you have no hopes for what he what his actual answer is because like if you were like you said like what it means to be a man is to be violent is to be is to be powerful is to be this is to be that like what do you want him to say i mean i would i would probably project much of my own experience onto it but the the deeper i mean that's kind of i mean that's sort of what like most parenting is <laughs> you know, it's projecting your own experience but you're right now i mean you're the programmer you're programming this kid yeah. and you're you, this is it like your greatest work is going to be with this child like totally. of anything that we create it's going to be with him and so do you want him to say a man is vulnerable and a man is honest and a man is sensitive and a man is caring or do you want him to say a man is powerful and a man is you know violent what, what do you want him to say so i agree with you that i am programming him subconsciously and consciously but i will tell you that the the programming that i'm very aware of and the last thing that hero hears every night before he goes to sleep is you are loved you are supported and you are perfect exactly as you are. And it is the idea of releasing from attachment to what I need him to be and providing a space for him to be whatever it is. Mm, beautiful. I love that. And so that's what I mean is that what I am creating is curriculum and space and experiences that are modern rites of passage opportunities for young men old men to transform their consciousness and step into uh, a much more aware enlightened experience of masculinity Mm. that serves them and the people that they care about and my hope is that 
those things sustained to the point where he gets to experience them and I get to contribute to that experience where he gets to do it for himself. Beautiful. I think that like so much of our experience, so much of the behaviors that you were referencing around violence or any of this stuff is the, the just not knowing that we're loved and not knowing that we're okay and not knowing that we're enough. And I think that, you know, I think that's a profound answer to say that like what I want him to know is that he's loved because if we know we're loved then we generally don't act out that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's really, that's amazing. So, um, what's going on at Junto? What are these weekends? I still have yet to go, but everybody I know comes back and they're just transformed. So what are you doing on these weekends and what are they all about? Yeah, you know, we, we've really created it as a, a modern ritual rite of passage for men. If you look at uh, how indigenous communities for thousands of years created these experiences that allowed young men to step into maturity, to be recognized by a group of people, to acknowledge new responsibility, like we talked about before, to embrace a new identity that aligned with greater responsibility to a group of people. Um that a lot of those ritual rites of passage have really gone by the wayside, whether it's through religious institutions, fraternal organizations, you know, even some of the ones that were more societally conditioned, like child rearing and marriage, which used to happen in your early twenties. And now for many men aren't happening until their mid thirties to forties. And so these experiences that we had that allowed us to embrace some of these more service oriented masculine virtues, have really been delayed or just completely neglected. And so Junto is an opportunity for guys to come together. And it starts by teaching them these gestalt communication techniques so they can really speak to their emotions, check in with what's real for them in all those core areas of sadness, anger, shame, joy, you name it, and just become more aware of where they're at. And then secondly, it is this deconstruction of our masculine identity of providing a space for guys to explore what are the relationships, the rites of passage, the experiences that have contributed to my identity of a man and what is that currently? And from that place of deconstructing our identity as masculine, as a man, we give them opportunity to redefine what it is on their own terms outside of the context of that subconscious conditioning. And in that place, it's you know this real brotherhood where we get to celebrate one another uh, for taking the time to do that for making the unknown known stepping into, you know, what we would call like a more mature, healthy masculinity that's on their own terms. Amazing. It's amazing. I can't wait to go. Once I go, I'll be able to report back on my own transformation and experience. Um, Andrew, before uh, we say goodbye, I'm just curious. I know that you, uh, you read a ton. You've done so much research. What are some books that you think uh, we should be reading right now? Um, around anything around love, sex, and relationships. It doesn't have to be just relegated to masculinity or manhood, but in general. The, some of the most transformative books I've ever read would probably be, since I'm, I'm talking to JMW on the Touchpoint podcast, I would probably reference Urban Tantra first, which was uh, my first introduction to Tantra and connecting with my breath. And I'd say that doing some of her exercises was like the least amount of work that I've done for the most significant transformation in joy and pleasure that I've been able to experience in my life. Um, other books that were fundamental were, hmm. I've been learning a lot of things recently, but I'm trying to think about real transformational. This one might be contentious, but I would say that 
one of the first books that introduced me to the polarity of masculine and feminine was Way of the Superior Man and was a helpful introductory framework for understanding some aspects of masculine feminine identity at some point. I think that it has some limiting aspects to it as you kind of evolve down the path and develop your own sense of self. But uh, most importantly, I would read Disrupt Her by Mickey Agarwal and Belong by Radha Agarwal that just came out. But, uh, but those would be a few that really contributed to my own growth in this realm of sexuality, relationships, and love. Beautiful. Well, Andrew, it's always a pleasure hanging with you. Thank you so much for sharing all of your, your, uh, your good juju. And um, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe me and you go and uh, frost our tips. Can I ask one more question before we close it out? Of course. Jared, what does it mean for you to be a man? At this point in my life, it means that I have a penis. That's it. That's really it. What do you think has been conditioned into you? See, this is what I love about Andrew Horn. This is, you know, I have never sat in a room with Andrew Horn for more than four minutes where I was not asked some really deep questions. So like, it was just at the end, right? We're 35 minutes in and Andrew's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta turn the tables. Um, so the question around being a man, yeah, for me, it's, you know, the idea of, you know, gender is such a cultural construct that, you know, we, my research and time and work has been in really understanding that like we're just such fluid beings and we take the shape of whatever container we're put in. You know what I mean? It's like when the kids all wear puka shell, puka shell necklaces, you wear them. And like, if you grew up in a community where they don't, you don't. And like everything from the necklaces we wear to the way we express our genders, it's just, it's so cultural that like, I don't know. I think that when I think of man, I don't, I think of sex and I think, and, and sex more as in, in, the characteristic of my my magic parts mm -hmm. and uh and so i think i have a penis but that's that's really it i don't you know i don't know i don't think beyond that do you want to not really you know i think that like i said like you know was, I, i've i've been there's there's parts of me that express in very feminine ways and 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 feminine in the in the very gendered sense where yeah. I, I mean i do i paint my toenails i wear very like flowy clothing i mean the clothing that i buy i mean all my onesies are from the women's section um you know and so i mean they're not they're not male onesies like because we just i haven't found stores that make cool clothes for men i mean they they just you know they make like shirts and slacks and and cargo shorts and then the women have all this cool asymmetrical shit and i'm like i want some of that so i think that like you know i think that the the idea of how i express and and how i flow through life has always been this question around my sexuality which is connected to um my gender Right. And these things are, are supposedly different, but they're not often people, you know, connect them. So I don't know. I think that like I have a penis. I feel like when I was born, I feel like I feel good about having a penis. Um, there's a lot of people who feel very disconnected to their genitals and the sex that was assigned at birth. And I feel great about mine and I feel great about the body I was born in. And that's it. I don't really see beyond that. Hmm. Any other question? I mean, what, what do you think? Do you feel that there's any pressures that are put on you specifically because of your gendered experience as a man? Yeah, I mean, I think that like, you know, 
I think that um, I think of myself, you know, I often don't think of the qualities of painting my toenails or wearing flowy clothing as something that's feminine, but more childish. Mm. So I always say like when I, when I choose the things I choose for myself, it's because I, it's not that I feel like a man or a woman, but I feel five and I feel like I sustain that piece of me. Um, you know, I like to play with Legos. Like I'm just, I, I feel like very juvenile in a lot of areas of my life and like kids don't really care about things like that. And so I guess I don't, I, I, I've been in some way inoculated uh, at, from those types of pressures. Hmm. Um, you know, it's like, you know, if, if kids would start fights, you know, and like, I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan, you know, like I, I love beat it. Like somebody's like, like, I, I don't need to fight anybody to prove that I'm a man. I'm cool. I like my nose. I don't want it to be broken. I, I'm good. You know? So I feel like I never, I haven't felt those like pressures. I think that where it's shown up has been more, you know, I think about sexually, I think around like, you know, learning that like if I be with like a new partner and like I like couldn't perform and I just wasn't excited and I wasn't aroused and like I felt like, oh, well, like real dudes like show up and know how to like do the thing and like what am I doing? Hmm. So that's like one way I think it, it's shown up where I would think about like this is like a real man would show up this way. But like I've really learned through my explorations with Touchpoint is that like, you know, like when we feel unsafe, you know, when we don't feel like emotionally safe in a space, sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard to get an erection. Uh, <laughs> turns out that way. So, you know, some of us need to be cuddled a little bit and we need to talk about our feelings before we can get it on. Uh, and so that, that's been helpful for me. So that's like probably one area that I think about where it was like, oh, a real man shows up this way. And, and if there were times where I didn't, I'd be like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me. But well, turns out I'm fine. Like one thing I'd say as well is that when you started off, it sounds like not a lot of your identity is caught up in your identity as a man, which is also one of the things that we talk about is that it doesn't have to mean anything. A lot of people tell you that it does, but it doesn't. Right. You can build it around all sorts of other shit. And that's totally fine. But empowering people to have this type of conversation, they can say, I don't, I don't fucking care. Yeah. I don't yeah. care about being masculine. I care right. about other stuff. Right. That's, Great. You yeah. know? Yeah. I think that that's kind of my relationship to it. It's just not really been such a big part of my consciousness. And I don't, I think it's because to be honest, I think um, my mom really wanted to have a daughter. And up until the moment I was born, my name was Deborah. <laughs> And then I was born and she was like, my Deborah, my Deborah. And the nurse pointed out my genitals. And then my mom was like, oh. And so, um, no, she was excited. Everybody was excited. Nobody was disappointed. I didn't disappoint people by having a penis. But the point is that from the time I was very young, you know, my mom like really was, you know, taking me to Broadway shows and teaching me about figure skating. And my father was teaching me about basketball and, and telling me, you know, the stories of, you know, famous athletes that overcame it all. And so I think that like there was this like real like, very distinct things that I was learning from like my parents that were distinctly different from one another. Like my dad was teaching me about the sports and about, you know, about, um, greatness. And my mother was teaching me about the arts and the humanities and, and, uh, and, uh, and also simultaneously, you know, giving me, you know, uh, I don't know. I think I read like codependent no more by Melody Beatty when I was like 11. Mm. Um, you know, my mom is a, is a psychologist. So, so I, I just think that like my mom raised me like her daughter 
and uh, my father raised me like his son, and um, I turned out to have painted toenails. Oh, it worked out pretty well for you. Well, I'm I'm working. I'm working on it. I mean, I've got great friends like you, so that's. I, I love you, James Dubs. I love you. Thank you so much for this this time, and thank you for for asking some thoughtful questions. It just wouldn't have been the same without that. Thank you for listening to Touchpoint. You can learn more about us at lovetouchpoint.com and follow us on Instagram at, at lovetouchpoint. Have an inspired day, and we'll see you next week.